0: I think our kids need to hear that a lot they need to hear that they're capable and they've got the toolbox or if they don't have the toolbox they know people that they can reach out to that love and care for them that can help them
1: welcome to sports mom rapport where we support and connect with moms of athletes while sharing helpful advice from each other and some guest experts along the way this is tara
2: and i'm destiny thank you for joining us as we highlight you incredible moms Hey, Destiny.
1: Hey, Tara. Today, we will be joined by Sarah Murray. She is a mother to three children, two of whom are currently student athletes as volleyball players.
2: I actually met Sarah right after her husband passed away, and I vividly recall the strength that she displayed for her children.
1: I just can't even imagine. I'm looking forward to her sharing with us how she persevered and how her children became such tremendous athletes.
2: I'm sure we will all enjoy this episode. So let's welcome Sarah. Sarah, we're so excited to get to know you better
1: today. Will you share a little bit about your upbringing and your passions and if athletics played a role in your childhood?
0: I grew up in a really small town of like 1,500 people in the Upper Peninsula. I've lived in Ann Arbor for over 30 years. My dad was a self employed plumber and my mom was a school nurse. And I went to a school that was K through 12. And I had about 20 kids in my graduating senior class. The small town, small school upbringing was unique to my childhood. I graduated from high school, and then I went to college at Northern Michigan University, which is in Marquette, which is still in the Upper Peninsula. And I knew, I guess, at 18, somehow instinctively that I probably needed a smaller college because I came from such a small town. And it was a really good fit for me. I will say, though, growing up in a small town, all the teachers knew every kid. Every kid mattered. And I felt people in the school and in the community were vested in me because everyone knew each other. I played a bunch of sports, every sport in high school, you name it. And so did every other kid because they needed every kid to play to field a team. I migrated my way out of the Upper Peninsula because I graduated from Northern with a degree in public relations and broadcasting. And at 22, I was like, I need to find a job or I'm going to have to move back at home and live with my parents, which didn't sound like a really great option. And there were no jobs in the UP at the time. And I didn't want to stay there. I was ready for something a little different. I got this job in financial sales in Ann Arbor. They took a chance on me. I said in this job interview, I don't know anything about finance. This isn't my background. Why would you hire me? And they just said, basically, we can teach you everything you need to know about the financial part of this job. But what we need are people, one, that are willing to work, and two, that are decent communicators. So lo and behold, back in 1993, I took this job in financial sales in Ann Arbor, and I haven't left.
1: It makes sense that you had the communication skills they could see in you that they would be able to teach you the financial aspects. I'm glad they took a chance on you.
0: Yeah, it ended up working out really well. You often hear of people that have these careers or jobs, and it's not at all what they studied in college. I mean, that's kind of a thing now. That's the norm. I just got lucky in that this job ended up being well-suited for me and me well-suited for it. This is my 30th year as a financial advisor, same company, same job. So I think probably has been a good meeting of the minds. You're right.
1: Everything just aligned perfectly. Coming from the small town, do you ever miss that life? Miss Mm -hmm. the feeling of importance, the feeling of family that you're all connected
0: Yeah, I think it's helped me put into words what I experienced as a kid being from a small town and and really being able to appreciate that for what it was. And I have two sisters and we talk about this because they live in bigger towns now also. And we understand that it was a unique experience. And I wish in some ways I could have replicated some of that for my kids.
1: Well, it sounds like it gave you quite the roots so that you could bring your children up with that mindset and appreciation as well.
0: I'd like to think so. All of a sudden in life, I don't know if you guys ever do this. It's me when I look in the mirror and I'm kind of looking at gray hairs. Or you look at your kids or you have all these milestone events and you're like, wow, this 10, 15, 20 years, what happened to that? You just have these moments where you pull up and realize how fast things are moving. So my 30th work anniversary is kind of a big one. This other milestone that's really making me think back about all the decisions that I've made over the course of the last several decades that brought me to where we are today. I guess it's a mindfulness that's in the front of my face all the time.
2: Well, our upbringing influences how we view our current circumstance. And so a lot of times, depending on what that upbringing was, it just influences how we view life. It sounds like your experiences have translated to now saying, okay, what have I done? Have I done enough? Are my kids, do they have rooted deep within them what I had?" And I think, yeah. you know, sometimes we do reflect and we do the best that we can in those moments. Can you introduce us to your family and give us a little bit of an idea of your role as a sports mom?
0: Yeah. So I have to go back before I go forward. Once I moved, several years later, I met my husband. A couple years later, we were married. And as a result of our marriage, I came into this wonderful blessing, which is a son. He had a son from his previous marriage. was able to immediately have this amazing kid in my life, my stepson. So my husband and I got married in 2001. We had a couple daughters a few years later. And then... As a family, you're dealing with work obligations and smaller kid obligations and vacations and right, all that goes along with that. So we were kind of living that life. As a sports mom, my husband's son was heavily involved in soccer and basketball. And then our girls played every sport from water polo to gymnastics, to soccer, to tennis, because we were kind of like the family that wanted our kids to just be comfortable trying new things. My husband and I were of the belief that trying new things builds confidence. And it helps kids feel capable, meeting new people, of being in new environments, and that fosters being comfortable with trying new things. So we wanted the kids to dabble in whatever they showed interest in. We did a lot of trying new things, a lot of them sports related. We had the house where we took out all the lamps, where we had chunks in the wall, drywall that just popped off because a ball was being thrown or kicked. I've been kicked in the face multiple times. <laughs> Girls doing cartwheels or flips. Good weather months will be outside, but when the weather's bad, we're still going to let our kids do what they want to do in the house. I mean, we learned the hard way. A couple lamps get broken or a couple things that are valuable get broken. And then you think, why do we have this in the living room anyway? Right? Yeah. So anyway, that was just a glimpse into how we viewed activity and kids moving and the importance of that. My husband was diagnosed with a terminal form of cancer in 2008, and he died two years later at the age of 40. So I was left with After 10 years of marriage, facing the prospect of being an only parent, kind of had to go back before I went forward to talk about that. For me, being a sports mom, a serious sports mom, it started at the time when I became an only parent. My husband's son was 11 when he died, and then our girls were six and eight. We're still doing some rec and ed, low commitment kind of sports then. As kids got older, things really progressed, and my experience as a sports mom was fun an intense and probably an experience I wouldn't have changed for the world, but I was carrying a pretty heavy load. Tried really hard, and I think I did a good job of staying in the moment. And now that I'm a recent empty nester, and so now that that club sport experience is behind me, one of those things where I'm so happy that it happened, and I enjoy it every moment, but I'm sad that it's over.
2: No, I love how you just verbalized that story so beautifully because I picture your home with balls going everywhere and letting the girls just be active and have fun. And you said you love for them to try new things and building confidence. I'm sure within that, all of that prepping you for becoming a widow. And I'm sorry for your loss. I know that was very hard for your family When you think about it, though, all of that built on itself to where the girls are today. So as you've transitioned into being an empty nester now, but your girls had very successful careers in athletics.
0: They have. And I appreciate that, Destiny. And I do think, you know, I mean, I had a lot of thoughts when I lost my husband and concern for myself and concern for the kids, but I always felt capable. There was never a moment where I felt I can't do this, that I can't be an only parent or that I can't handle it. I always felt capable. And so in some ways over the years, I guess I have tried to make sure that I've helped all three kids have these experiences where they can pull from that experience that they're capable. So that's a big word for me. Capability and feeling capable. It's a big word and it plays a big role in our lives. The girls are volleyball players. We talk a lot about that, about feeling capable, about whatever lies ahead. As it relates to feeling stressed about a big match or a big exam or coaching change, we talk a lot always about no matter what the change or no matter what the circumstance, just say to yourself, I'm capable of handling it.
1: I love that. Capable. Perhaps your upbringing in the small town, you all felt important and you had that confidence as you grew up. It's incredible. You have an incredible story and your children have really seen your strength and your confidence and feeling capable.
0: Yeah, I have a couple girls that are pretty headstrong and smart, and I think they would describe themselves as capable. Those little words like feeling capable, one of our kids is dealing with something stressful, whether it's related to sports or not. And we as parents say, or they hear from people, oh, everything's going to be okay. Everything's going to be okay. I've always tried to tweak that because in my life, a lot of times things have not been okay. They've actually been really hard and really terrible. So I've tried to switch the language. And instead of saying, everything's going to be okay, to instead say, things might not be okay, but I can be okay, even though the circumstance is not. Because things aren't always okay, but it doesn't mean we have to be. So there's this distinction between circumstance and self.
1: What a great outlook. That's a beautiful lesson. You're opening my mind and eyes to see. Yeah, that's true. You have (laughs) suffered a lot. And you've turned that into such a beautiful life experience, life lessons.
0: Well, I do feel like I have a unique view on how finite life really is. And that came to me at a really young age. I'm committed to having a life that's filled with joy and gratitude. We can all say that, but how do you do it? I think sometimes it's just shifting what we say and what we think a little bit so that things can make a little bit more sense. Like, oh, everything's going to be okay. That's kind of a placating, like, not true, actually. But I can be okay, even when things aren't. And then again, that lends itself to feeling I'm capable of handling and dealing with productively whatever I'm faced with. I think our kids need to hear that a lot. They need to hear that they're capable, and they've got the toolbox. Or if they don't have the toolbox, they know people that they can reach out to that love and
1: care for them that can help them. Thank you for that. Thank you so much will you introduce us to your daughters? Tell us about their success in sports and where they are now. I will.
0: At some point in their sports journey, they fell into volleyball or it fell into them. They were tall kids. They're 6'1 and 6'2. So it was kind of like a meeting of, oh, this seems like a good sport. They liked it. They were good at it, which of course helped. Kendall is my oldest daughter and she's 20, currently a junior. And she plays volleyball at Michigan. And Harper just turned 18. She enrolled early at the University of Nebraska. She enrolled in January. And they just landed in Brazil this morning, where they'll be competing for the next eight days. So I don't know how they found volleyball or if it found them, but it was kind of like the perfect match.
1: Wow. Going to Brazil. I know. Traveling internationally. That's incredible. Amazing experiences.
0: The other thing that I think it's important to mention about my girls is that both of them had some learning challenges, and this is part of their sports experience. And so Kendall was diagnosed in grade school with dyslexia, and Harper had ADHD. Both of them, in their early years, sports were an outlet for some of the other challenges that they were facing in the classroom. I was able to get early intervention, certainly on the dyslexia piece and the ADHD. I kind of felt like I was meeting with teachers all the time. That became a part-time job. But just to help manage Harper's learning and help the teacher manage the environment so that both of them could properly learn. I also think, speaking frankly, that there are challenges with each of those things. Help build a lot of resilience. In them over time. My oldest, Kendall, I mean, she had to work really, really hard to do well in school. It took a lot of support outside of school for her to create the building blocks and overcome some of the learning hurdles that she faced in order for her to be successful. As a mother, it was hard to watch that, hard to watch her struggle so much. But at 20 years old, all of those struggles She's built on all of those to develop into this confident person that pretty much feels like she can do anything because of those early struggles, because she overcame and she learned how to work through everything, connected those dots between hard work and preparation and accomplishing something.
1: Working hard, having it pay off. When things don't come easy and the kids need to work hard, it really teaches life lessons. And it's a tribute to you as a mother teaching them, I am capable. This is not easy, but I'm going to get through it. And I'm going to find the tools and get through this. So Yeah. The
0: resilience part of that, Kendall, specifically with the challenges that come with dyslexia and learning. If I could have thought 10 years ago, where would I love for her to be right now? Like where in 10 years... She's probably surpassed that. She's just shining and confident and has so much belief in herself and knows that everything that's worthwhile usually takes a lot of time and hard work. Sports are not sport. My youngest had ADHD and what that really meant was so many social challenges. I used to have this phrase with her where I would grab her cheeks in the morning before she left for school and say, okay, today, let's not make the same mistake you made yesterday. Let's make a new one. (laughs) <laughs> so, you know, I'm trying to normalize making mistakes, but not making the same one that she made the day before right.
2: learning. Um, from it. <laughs> yeah,
0: I think ADHD is certainly much more common now than it was 5, 10, 20 years ago. That diagnosis really has made her an incredible athlete. One thing about ADHD is that people think kids are just unfocused, and that is so true. But a component of ADHD and kids that have it is what they can do is get intently focused on one thing. And then it's hard for them actually to focus on anything else. Like I used to have to say to the middle school teachers, Harper can't sit by the door because all she's focused on is who's walking by the door instead of class. So we have to talk about preferential seating. But if you think about that intense focus on, for her, it was learning the game of volleyball. And so her volleyball IQ is, I think, off the charts because she was intently focused on being good at this one thing that she loved. So in a lot of ways, ADHD has probably served her really well.
1: We all have our strengths and weaknesses, and you have definitely helped them turn any lemons into lemonade and showing them right. that they're capable. Mm-hmm.
0: They want to be good at things, but they don't want to be different at certain ages. I did try really hard to talk to them about, you're different in a good way, and this is how your brain works. Everyone's brain works differently. The only thing that matters, though, is let's figure out how yours does. So there were a lot of challenges for both of them as kids, just feeling a little bit different. Sometimes there are more consequences, like dyslexia meant more tutoring. Well, none of Kendall's friends were doing that. Or for Harper, it was more meetings with the chair. Preferential seating, the example that I gave, well, no one else seems to be doing that, right? Because kids are always paying attention to what everyone else is doing. I'm (laughs) just
2: hearing how impactful your messaging has been for your children across the board. When you're talking about confidence, you're talking about capabilities, you're talking about resilience. Your messaging to your children has been so poignant. It's been spot on. And you can tell with the success of your kids and all that they've gone through. Having lost a father is a thing that they experienced. That's big. That was a thing mm-hmm. for them. Just looking at the journey and seeing now where they are, it's just beautiful.
1: May we transition a little bit? Talking about your girls being Division One volleyball players How was their recruiting process and what tips do you have for other sports moms regarding that?
0: So I think the recruiting process is just inherently stressful. The thing is, it's stressful in different ways. And I know every sport is different. And, you know, interestingly enough, the recruiting rules for volleyball were one way for Kendall and then another way for Harper, because between their ages, there was a lot of change. They were really fortunate in that they didn't have to market themselves. They each had a lot of attention early on by a lot of schools, great programs because they were good athletes and they're tall. And so that makes for good volleyball players. The recruiting process, though, it was inherently stressful because it's a lot of pressure on young kids. And both of my kids expressed feeling like they didn't want to let the coach that had spent a lot of time with them or a particular program seemed really invested in them and wanted them at their school. They felt bad about saying no, like they were letting people down. My youngest, Harper, during her recruiting process, we have a ton of family in Wisconsin. I think that I unknowingly was really keen on Wisconsin. And at one point, she just said to me, it's a great program, but I don't see myself there. The only reason I continue to talk to them is because I think it's what you want and I'm so glad she said that because then I was able to say, oh my goodness, I get how you felt that way. And I'm sorry, this isn't about me. This is about you. So let's get on the phone and you can tell them, no, thank you. It really I had to check myself. And I was really glad that she said that to me. To answer your question, Tara, advice for parents going through the recruiting process. I have two. One, don't make it about you. Really listen to your kids. I ended up saying to both of my girls, the only person that you need to worry about disappointing is you, not me, not a coach at another school, not your club coaches, not all these people that are giving you this unsolicited advice that don't know what the best fit for you is. Only person you need to be worried about disappointing is you. And you're going to have my support. I didn't even realize I was making one of Harper's top choices about me. I'm just glad she was able to talk to me about it so that I could check myself a little bit. So I think for parents, in the kindest way possible, we need to check ourselves and make sure the process is about our kids. And then, yes, both of my girls play Division I volleyball, and they both have full scholarships, and I'm super proud about them for that. But the mistake that I see most often in the volleyball world is there are kids and parents that are D1, D1, D1. The reality is their kids are probably going to find a better fit and play more at a smaller school a D2, a D3. There's even opportunity at NAIA. And when kids commit on their Twitter profiles, the first thing they say is D1. It's kind of like division one is end all be all. And I think there's a whole cascade of opportunities for kids and better fits. A lot of female volleyball players go to division one schools and don't play. Whereas maybe if they would consider smaller, they'd have more opportunity. In volleyball, it would be your recruiting coordinator and club coaches. You kind of know where you land, like where the interest is for you as a volleyball player. What I mean by that is what size school. So unless you know that you're a candidate for, say, a power five school, pursue those. But otherwise, it's not D1 or nothing. I would say to parents, help keep your kids' eyes and ears and mind open to other schools, and really focusing on the best fit for your child, as opposed to the size of school. Athletic program, what I mean by that. It's like D1, D1, D1. Well, what about D2 and 3?
1: Do you think that sometimes, though, when somebody has their dream set on being at a D1 school, and they are told by their coach, well, you really need to look at a D2 or D3, do you feel like that could set them back? I mean, I see what you're saying, but I also have heard from some other athletes, they were insulted hearing that their coach didn't think they were good enough for a D1 and they wanted to push and keep striving for a D1. I see what you're saying, though, that there's too much too much emphasis
2: on emphasis. D1. Emphasis, thank you. I-, I think it can be challenging because... I agree with you, Sarah. There's so much emphasis on D1, and there's a ton of opportunities for more playing time, for more sense of community, that confidence, that sense of self. But I think sometimes it can be a gut check to hear that maybe what they have aspired for for so long isn't what it might actually end up being. But that being said, I feel like this generation of kids sometimes can be a little delusional in the fact that they might think that they're better than they are. And that's not to say that being a Division two, II, Division three NAIA athlete isn't good because they're excelling, period. They've committed time. They've done a fantastic job of working their way up and even being considered for any type of scholarship at any level. But I think a lot of athletes should recognize truly where their talent is best suited.
0: And I think a lot of that, sometimes that leadership can come from the parents. So I think sometimes parents need a gut check. And I don't know what's right for every kid. There are some volleyball players who end up going to Division One and never, ever see the court, and there's no hope of ever playing. The same kids that could go to smaller schools and start and play and be all conference. Some kids are happy being able to go to the bigger school, but they're not happy not playing. And so I think it starts with the parents. I think the messaging with the parents is really what matters. So I guess I wouldn't interpret that as a gut check and unmotivating. I think it's maybe a dose of reality that kids and parents need.
1: This is your skill set, and this is about where it would fit. Thank you for explaining that it's dependent on the individual child as well, because some children would rather be at a really top school and have to try to keep fighting for a spot in the lineup or spot to play. Whether they get in or not, it might be satisfying for them as opposed to getting to play more. But it's really, what do you want? Do you want to be a bit of a star on your team and Be able to be sure that you're going to be getting in there as long as you're healthy and performing at the level that you're accustomed to and used to doing.
2: I have that personally. Ava turned down quite a few offers to train with what she views as the best coaches in the country. She feels that the school she's attending has consistently performed at a high level. And she's like, if I'm committing to do gymnastics in college, I want to be coached by the best but she's choosing her heart. She's choosing to come into a situation where they are in national contention every year. And she knows it's going to be hard to make a spot, but she's chosen that hard. I think another hard could be coming in as the top star athlete at a program where the expectations are super high. So these athletes are choosing their heart regardless of the scenario. And I do think it is dependent on the child. My middle daughter, likely will choose a scenario that is comfortable something that fits her personality something where the size fits her personality where the coaches are encouraging motivating she's going to probably prefer a program that meets her current talent abilities and that's just child specific that comes into the whole sports mom conversation is how are we encouraging each kid who's different different personality different goals different ambitions and different needs
0: What does everyone want for their kids? Forget athletics for a minute. We want them to be happy, successful human beings. We want them to take everything they've learned from their sport and translates into how to live a happy, productive, successful
1: life. That's big picture, not size of school. Totally. I love how you let your daughter know I'm here to support you. They already put so much pressure on themselves with the recruiting and schoolwork and all the challenges that they face with peers and everything else just in life for your daughter to feel, okay, it's okay to say no. I don't owe that coach anything. I'm just doing the best I can and I'm trying to find the right fit. And thank goodness my mother is behind me and supporting me with whatever decision I make. That just took such a load off of her, I'm sure. I hope so.
0: Tried hard to say this isn't about me at all. This is about me supporting. I'm going to help support you through this process. So let's find the best fit for you. But the recruiting process, to sum it up, it's just stressful because kids are in a difficult position to say no to a bunch of people and yes to the right one. It's kids having these business conversations all day long with coaches. It's exhausting for them.
1: You mentioned that your youngest daughter, Harper, graduated a little early to go to Mm -hmm. Nebraska to start Mm -hmm. training. How did that decision come about and what challenges did you all need to overcome as a family to make that happen? Yeah,
0: that's a good question. So there was just significant opportunity for her to enroll in January as opposed to at the end of the school year. This international trip to Brazil and being rostered and being able to actually compete against some different competition. The second reason was Nebraska plays beach volleyball in the winter. It's a really great way to train the volleyball body outside of an indoor court. They have kind of a unique beach program that they do during the winter. It was that training opportunity. Probably helped that they played beach and took a spring break for two and a half weeks in Hawaii. So Harper was able to leave school early, knowing I get to play beach volleyball in Hawaii for a couple of weeks. I get to go to Brazil. That was kind of a tough decision for her. Initially, she was able to come back for prom, but commencement is next week. She won't be able to make it back for that. She had to weigh whether or not she felt like being on campus early was worth what she would miss in high school. Her entire freshman class, there's five of them. They all went early, which frankly made a big difference. And then from an academic standpoint, I had to make one small change in her schedule so that she could be done in December, but it was actually relatively easy. And I do have to credit the high schools for that. I was kind of sad as a mom for her to be going a little early, but she's really happy and she's ready to play at the next level. And so it's very fitting for her.
1: Knowing your daughter's happy makes it easier, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, Hawaii sounds enticing. She made her pros and cons list, and with the other girls entering early at the same time, and they could all go through it together, sounds like it was a good fit. Yeah, it was a good decision for Harper. Excellent. Considering that your girls travel extensively for competition, what advice do you have for sports moms that find it difficult to balance their career with the financial and time commitments of youth sports?
0: I started to just say to myself, okay, forget balance. Today's Wednesday. I'm a list person. What's my list for today? Or what needs to happen today? And let me focus on today. And then tomorrow, I'm going to focus on tomorrow and I'm going to do the best that I can. And you know what, at the end of the day, my kids are going to eat and get enough sleep and we're all safe. Maybe we ate Jimmy John's and I didn't make a home cooked healthy meal, but my kids don't care about that. They just want to eat. So my advice in a nutshell is I don't know that balance is achievable for a working mother with children or for a non-working mother with children. So it's not about work or not work for the mother. Just take it day by day and think about it week by week, just today, just Wednesday, and then tomorrow, just Thursday, and then Friday, and then the weekend. Let me do the best that I can every day and see where it gets me. Yeah, that felt like a nicer way need to be nicer to me instead of being upset at the end of the day about all the things that didn't get done or didn't go well.
1: How do you feel that your professional experience, your professional career as a financial (laughs) planner has helped the most with your daughters navigating NIL, the name image likeness?
0: That's a great question. So NIL is still so new. What I'm experiencing with my daughters that each of the schools they go to in Michigan and Nebraska have adopted NIL programs just in a completely different fashion. What my background has done is I've talked a lot to my girls about the basics of finances and investing and the opportunity that exists for them. If they were to make money, what to do with it. So I've tried to really use my background to educate them mentally about what an impact saving and investing can have on them at such a young age.
2: They are so lucky that when and if they do have NIL deals, that you can guide them in the right way.
1: They have quite the resource. I understand that you are very involved in philanthropy, specifically cancer research and support for grieving children. How do you feel that your experience has helped others along the way? So my experience with cancer, you know, the most recent was my husband.
0: Prior to that, though, my mother is a breast cancer survivor, and my dad passed away from colon cancer. So this was prior to my husband being diagnosed. And so when I said earlier that life is finite, I know that we all know that, but I mean, I really have lived that. I'd like to think that my work has had some kind of impact in helping people understand my mother, my father, my husband had three different types of cancer, but they all at some point in their treatment program were treated with a drug called Avastin which is a chemotherapy drug, it is used to treat all different types of cancers. Like that education piece, Tara, that's a really good question that you asked. Helping people understand that if you have an interest in cancer research, which was mine, because that's where new therapies come from, they need investments, they need funding and all of that. One finding in the cancer research area can impact every other area of cancer treatment and not just specific to one type of cancer. So this drug, again, that was used to treat all three of my family members' type of cancer is probably the best example of that. So helping people understand that and raise awareness and helping people understand that cancer researchers are always in need of more money and funds to continue their research. And then grieving children. I did a little work with an organization shortly after my husband passed away. I haven't done that in a number of years because at a certain point, my kids said, We don't think we need to go to this anymore, mom. Like we think we're okay. Kind of reached the end of the shelf life on that. But I do think it's really important. I'm a huge fan of therapy. I've had a lot of personal therapy. I made sure both of my kids had therapy and that we had therapy together, of course, as a result of losing my husband. I'm a big fan of cognitive behavioral therapy. I'm a big fan of having someone, a trained professional, help you understand why you think the way you do, why you feel the way you do, why you say what you say all to promote a better understanding of self.
1: That's a great explanation and definitely helping others know that those are all important aspects.
2: Just like one treatment can impact many forms of cancer, one person can also make a difference by simply bringing awareness and helping to raise funds. I commend you for that, Sarah.
1: Have there been any ways that you have seen athletics and philanthropy unite for a common cause that stand out?
0: I have, and I guess traveling all over the country to club volleyball tournaments. The one that I'm noticing the most lately is early childhood diabetes. There have been a lot new diagnosis, and that diagnosis has become more common in the last several years, and so I've seen that intersect a lot in the volleyball community as of recently. I'm not personally involved in it, but I think you have a lot of volleyball players that are type 1 diabetics playing the sport and promoting it and promoting the fundraising piece of it, which I think is incredible.
2: All of that just goes to show how powerful it can be, specifically when athletes use their platform in a positive way to bring light to an important cause. Excellent.
1: You have shared so much advice with us and just introspective ways of looking at life and raising your children. Do you have any final advice that you'd like to share with us?
0: I think one of the things is I listened to some of your other podcasts. One of my takeaways is how much women need other women and how much connecting with other women and listening to other women, how much we learn. And then I think the greatest gift that I think I've unintentionally given my kids is that they see me as one, their mom, but then as all of these other things. They see me as a business professional. They see me as a sister and an aunt and a friend And someone active in the community, they see me wearing all of these hats. That's not been intentional. That's been inadvertent. But I think it lends itself to our daughters being able to look in the mirror, our sons as well, being able to look in the mirror and know that they have different facets to their personality. So you can be an amazing athlete, a hardworking one. You can also be a good student and you can also be a good entrepreneur. And like every woman wears a lot of hats. They're just a little different based on who we're talking to. And that's what unites us all, that we all wear some similar hats and some different ones so we can find commonality and then we can find some uncommonality that bring us together. I always feel like my kids in their experience with sports, they're on these teams with other kids that they might not have chosen each other as friends. But the sport brings them together where they find commonality. That's what I found with the volleyball parents, other team parents, is that maybe outside of the sport, we wouldn't have chosen each other. But here we are together doing this great thing together. And this is the tie that binds. And it's a great way to find commonality with other people that might not come so naturally otherwise.
1: Spot on. Yes, we do need each other, which is exactly why we started this podcast, too. So we can all share with each other and support each other and, and learn and hear each other's stories. And we're not all going to agree with everything, but we all can relate
2: in some way with each other.
1: That's definitely some advice that we haven't heard before.
2: Our kids definitely see us wearing so many hats. Honestly, I believe wholeheartedly that it brings so much value to our children Specifically as sports moms, we can influence every other athlete on our kids' sports team just by proximity.
1: If you had a free day for yourself, what would you spend it doing? Okay, my priorities in life are threefold.
0: It's health, relationships, and meaningful work. So I probably wouldn't work more. It would be in the middle, like meaningful relationships. I think I would probably reach out to some people that I love or that I haven't seen lately or that I have seen and I want to see more of and connect. But I also am not going to lie. My favorite Netflix show was Ozark. I just finished Yellowstone. I'm about to watch the last season of Succession. I can do a good Netflix binge on shows like that.
1: Some rejuvenation with your people and a little bit of downtime. Absolutely. Just- Sounds great. It's just been such a pleasure meeting you, hearing all of your story and your advice and your outlook on life.
2: Sarah, if there's two things that you've emphasized in this podcast today, it's that life is finite and what we say to other people matters. We need to love on the ones we love every chance that we can get and speak positivity and love into them as much as we can.
1: Go ahead and share with us how we can all keep up with you. I'm on Facebook, it's Sarah Coddle, my maiden name, C-A-U-D-I-L-L, Murray.
0: So Sarah coddle Murray, my Instagram handle, at SarahMurray155.
1: Sarah, it's been such a pleasure. We've loved talking with you and thank you so much for all you've shared with us. Thank you, Tara. And thank you, Destiny.
2: Thanks for your time, Sarah.
1: We're so glad you've joined us today. Thank you for listening. Upcoming episodes and show info can all be found at SportsMomReport.com. If you've enjoyed the show, please share it with a friend. We'd love to hear from you. So please reach out to us with any comments or if you or someone you know would like to share their story and connect with us.